On with the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Voices of Misery podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, I am very excited to bring to you a very interesting gentleman who I like to consider a visionary of sorts, because this man is a writer, and he's been chronicling the topic of conversation here on the show for the past couple of years. If you guys haven't heard of it, you must be living under a rock. Uh, It's COVID-19. And my guest today, Charles Eisenstein, is the writer of multiple essays, basically chronicling the injustices and everything that's been going on perfectly to a T actually. So I'm very excited to have him on and we share a lot of the same views. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation, but I can't do it any justice. I'm going to let the man himself introduce himself and kind of a little bit what he's about. Charles. All right. Hey, uh, happy to be here. Uh, Love the title of your podcast, Voices (laughs) of Misery. (laughs) Yeah. I've been trying to get myself in the mood for it, but, uh, I'm actually quite happy to be here with you. Happy to have you, sir. And you know what? We are all dealing with a lot of misery in the moment. So you know what? I feel like the title just fit the times, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, one of the... So so I, I, I'll just kind of jump right in. Um, I started writing about the pandemic in March of 2020, right at the beginning. And at the time... So I was horrified by what was happening, horrified by the public response, the response to the authorities, uh, not surprised so much as dismayed, because I'd been writing about this kind of stuff for quite a long time, off and on. Um, it wasn't my main thing, like, you know, public health wasn't my main topic. But in 2016 or 2017, I wrote an essay called Zika and the Mentality of Control. Mm-hmm where I basically said this mania, this obsession with safety and, and terror of germs is going to, is, is a pretext for any, any kind of control that can be justified, you know, on, on grounds of health and safety, like watch out. And it didn't really do much good. Apparently that essay, because when 2020 hit the tsunami of um of control just swallowed us up and anyway so i was i was dismayed but i kind of blithely waded into it with this essay called the coronation um not expecting that it would be so controversial cuz i'd been writing about this stuff for decades Uh, You know, I've been a a vaccine skeptic since the 1990s. You know, I mean, I never got in trouble for it before. And like all of a sudden I I become this target of of like extreme uh, criticism, denunciation, canceling and so forth. And um, but but as far as like misery goes, I'll just say even then in the midst of my consternation and dismay, I also saw 
a silver lining in that everything that was happening under COVID, the distancing, the retreat into online interaction, um, online education, online work, online dating, online socializing, online uh, meetings, you know, online everything, like the, the, the fear of the outdoors, uh, the decline of in-person life, uh, all that stuff was already underway well before COVID. And I thought, okay, we're being shown the direction that we've been going anyway. And, and like unconscious trends that had seemed inevitable are being revealed to us so that we can actually consciously choose. It's like, it's like, here's the future. Do you want this future? And if not, then this is our wake up call. Uh, so, so I still think, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't talk too long, but, but I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll just uh, put that in to start our conversation. Oh, the thing about this show, you can say whatever the heck you want, as long as you want. That's what people are here for. They want to hear your brilliant, you know, take on everything because I'm an idiot. You know, I'm just a guy who was basically red pulled the past couple of uh, red pill the past couple of years. Cause like everyone else, and I kind of wanted to touch on this because your essay, the coronation from the beginning of the whole fear campaign and even before with the, with, with the Zika essay, you kind of knew what was going on. You saw this coming a mile away and saw the warning signs. I didn't. I mean, I was, like I said, I'm an idiot. It took COVID to basically say, wait, there's something wrong here. So I kind of wanted to ask you here, like, just kind of like a two-part question. How did you see these warning signs? How did you know this was going this this path? And how did you see it? And why do you think, kind of to get to the other part of the question here, so many people did not, and were so willingly accepting of everything? Uh, well... I mean, to answer that question, I probably have to go back to my childhood, you know, Um, what, what turns somebody into a rebel, uh, into a heretic. Um, You know, for me, it was probably my father, who one of my earliest memories was sitting in front of the TV evening news with Walter Cronkite in 1973. And he is like, so angry at the Vietnam War that he's like out of his chair, like cursing, shaking his fist at the television set. <laughs> uh, he was, uh, 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 you know, every time the commercials came on, he would criticize, uh, criticize the commercials and rant about the corporations, you know, and, yeah. and he was also an environmentalist and it inculcated those values into me. The, the, like a pretty deep rejection of of business as usual uh, and to some extent of normality itself and so that and then and then you know as a teenager i began reading all kinds of radical literature that just were were a ally to what is almost universal actually in in our culture especially at that time which was a, a sense that this isn't that that what has been handed to us as normal and right and good and real is not like that 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 we should be sitting in a classroom filling out worksheets on a beautiful day mm-hmm. um, like there was just 
something that I just couldn't invest in. Um, I, I couldn't go through the motions really of, of agreeing to normality. So this didn't really blossom into consciousness until uh, later in my life when I, I actually lived abroad. I lived in Taiwan for 10 years and encountered, you know, I, I had gone to college. I went to Yale University, you know, studied mathematics and philosophy and imagined myself to be very rational and scientific and to basically know what was real, what was uh, advanced knowledge and what was superstition uh, and then I went to Taiwan and I encountered phenomena that my education had told me were blatantly impossible, but they were, they happened to me and they were widely accepted in the society. And so, and then I also encountered psychedelics at that time. So I, I never fully bought into the whole thing. And therefore I guess I had a bit of an outside view. So like from a radical political point of view, but also from these, the, from the psychedelic influence and from this other culture that I had been immersed in, um, I just didn't fully buy into the, the, the narration, the narration of um, that includes science and the media and, and, you know, everything that, that, people who are standing more on the inside would just kind of accept without question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now I just wanted to, to kind of get into the mindset too of people that are just so susceptible to what they were putting out at the time. Yeah. And I always think that people are good at heart. Most people are. And I think that they knew this, who, whoever they is, the powers that be, whoever enforcing all these weird rules and just making up the six foot, stay in the house for two weeks to flatten the curve, all this nonsense. So I think it was brilliant marketing actually on their part to say, hey, your mask protects me, my mask protects you, your vaccine, vice versa. I think they tapped into people and it was easier to make them gullible and susceptible to whatever they were pushing out. Is, is that the way you kind of see it or do you yeah, think? This is the big question. The big question is why are we, the public, we, the people so vulnerable to manipulation? Mm -hmm. Because you can blame the, you know, the corporations, big pharma, the power elite, the, the, you know, depends on how far down the conspiracy rabbit hole you want to go. Um, but but the question is, like these elites, they don't have superpowers. You know, they're not like uh, Lex Luthor or the the, the Joker or <laughs> you know the the evil like the evil villains in whatever whatever Hollywood movie we're talking about. You know, they're just human beings. Their power comes because of our acquiescence to it. So what makes us so vulnerable? This was what I explored a lot in, in my writing during the pandemic. Um, and and I, I drew an analogy. I don't think it's actually in my, no, it is in one of my essays, but, but I'll, I'll share it with you now. Um, to fourth grade, when there was a kid in the class, his name was Kent, perfectly fine kid, but somehow like the two or three kind of class bullies somehow decided that he was weird and they made it known loudly 
that Kent was weird and Kent had cooties. Now, it's not like they, you know, had a meeting and decided that they were going to single out Kent. It was maybe someday he said something and one of them said, oh, that's weird. You know, another one heard him. Yeah, you're weird. And pretty soon uh, the, the maybe four or five other kind of popular kids, they joined in with the bullies and pretty soon everybody was ostracizing Kent. Even those who thought there was nothing wrong with Kent, we were either um, like some of some of us just kind of went along with it because, you know, who am I? Maybe he is weird. You know, I, mean, I don't know. Like if everyone's saying he's weird, I guess maybe he is weird. And some of us were like, I don't think he's weird, but I dare not say anything because or I dare not make friends with Kent or be seen close to him because then I'm going to have cooties, too. You know, people are going to say that I'm weird, too. So I better keep my distance. Mm-hmm. So, so everybody ostracized him, even though only a minority actually thought he was weird. <clears throat> and, and, and to each one of us, because nobody spoke out, it looked like it was unanimous. Like I thought I was the only one who didn't think Kent was weird. So this is what I call mob morality. It's the same dynamic as in a witch hunt or a pogrom, or um, a riot, or on a mass scale, it's it's what it, it, these are the forces behind fascism um, and totalitarianism, where where you don't actually need um, a majority to believe in, like say that uh, that there are witches in our midst. All you need is a few ringleaders. There, there are basically five categories. There are the ringleaders. There are the eager participants. So they say, you know, she's a witch. And there are the people who are eagerly piling on. And then there are those who just kind of don't question things. They just accept what the zeitgeist is because everybody couldn't be wrong. You know, and, and I'm a good person mm-hmm. and a good person conforms to society. A good person obeys the, the, the rituals and the taboos um, and does what everybody else does. Like, that's just like a normal, decent person. Uh, that's probably the majority. And then there are those who are disturbed by what's happening. They don't think she's a witch, um, but they dare not say anything. And then there are those who do speak out. And whoever does that first ends up getting burnt at the stake themselves. It's only when enough of them speak out that that fourth group also then begins to have the courage to speak out. So, so you have a, 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 an illusion of unanimity because nobody is speaking out. And something kind of like that happened during COVID. Although I do think that at least in the initial part, uh, the, it was a, a majority of people actually uh, believed that the health measures were necessary and effective. At least they professed to believe it. Although if you noticed, it didn't take long before people stopped using those ridiculous hand-washing stations that were spread all over the place. Oh yeah. They got cobwebs all over them now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, 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 you know, people still did the distancing and the masking and so forth. And there, there are other reasons for that. Um, 
partly there's just this latent fear and anxiety in society that um, over many things, including health, but also just the the general um, status of our civilization. So that, but, but, you know, health has been declining for my entire lifetime. If you look at uh, chronic illness um, and other kinds of well-being, like addiction, depression, autoimmunity, um, suicide, uh, like like anxiety, you know, but 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 gen- generally chronic disease, obesity, and none of these things admit to a single controllable cause. Like there's no germ that you can kill and addiction and obesity and autoimmunity go away. They're not that kind of problem. So as a society, we don't know what to do about it. There's no villain to fight. Well, in the midst of this uh, growing fear and anxiety comes COVID. And finally, so here is a virus. Uh, Here is a germ. Here is an enemy. Here is something that we can control. And so COVID provided almost a sense of relief uh, in the public and in the authorities, because now we finally have an enemy to fight. And the suggestion, the unconscious suggestion is that if we could only conquer COVID, then we will all be healthy again. Here is an enemy and we conquer the enemy and it solves all of our problems, which is a familiar formula from Hollywood movies and from from literature in general. You know, the problem is the bad guy and the solution is to kill the bad guy. And this is very much similar to mob, the the mob mentality where, uh, okay, this, well, I mean, fascists use this all the time. There's an enemy that's a threat to society. And and we have to all get together and sacrifice our civil liberties and our freedoms in order to uh, uh, protect ourselves from this existential threat. You know, the existential threat could be the Jews, you know, or the communists or somebody. Like, you have to have an external threat. And then mirroring the external threat, there is always an internal threat, the traitors in our midst, the heretics, the anti-vaxxers, you know, like there's there's always an internal enemy to mirror the external the external enemy, so that to, that that justifies an endless intensifying regime of control. So that mindset of the enemy is related to uh, our our public health obsession with with germs like there's a comfort and 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 a relief in having an enemy to fight Mm. yeah you know what i think about that i i think it's really interesting and 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 i appreciate your take on it but i think you're giving people a little bit too much credit here i think people (laughs) in general are are just afraid and i think people are cowards and i feel like they'll just go with the flow because they because they want to belong even if it's something they don't believe in internally, I just think they just want to be a part of the group. It's this whole group think tribalism that's going on, especially with COVID. I feel like a lot of people had no idea what was going on and we were just afraid. And a lot of these people that align with the left ideology on this, like you have to get vaccinated, you got to stay in your house. You just have to do whatever they tell you. 
are the kinds of people that may not necessarily believe in it, but are the kinds of people that go outside in the morning, lick their fingers, stick it up in the air to see which way the wind's blowing. And I feel like those people are easily coerced because you're playing with their biggest fears. You're playing against it all. Everyone's afraid to die. No one knows what happens afterwards. So we're going to try to prevent that as much as possible. And I think a lot of these people are willing to give up anything, no matter what the cost. And you mm-hmm. saw a clear line being drawn directly down the middle. You're on one side or the other. There is no in-between. And that was the ugliest part for me. And I don't think we're ever going to come back from that. And maybe I'm just too negative, hence the name of the show, Voices of Misery here. <laughs> I would like to see us come out of it. You know, like I would love to see things go back to the way it was in 2019. Things weren't the greatest, but it's better than now. But I, yeah. I, I just feel like, you know, the guy at the grocery store who kicked you out two years ago because you didn't have a mask on, you know, now that the, you're starting to see a little bit of easing of those restrictions, you're going to see that guy. Remember, hey, this guy was a mask Nazi. This guy's an asshole. I, I, I don't think you're ever going to get rid of that tension. You know, probably I may mean, got a lot to say about that, but it just brings to mind a comment in one of my Substack posts where um, somebody uh, recalled his his youth um, as a anti Vietnam War activist, and y- you know he was uh, a minority. Like most people were in favor of the war, but he says when he when he talks to his friends now from that time, none of them remember being in favor of the war. Mm. They all remember that they'd been opposed to the war, but it wasn't true. They were in favor of it. So a lot of people are going to look back uh, five or 10 years from now and say, oh yeah, I never really believed in the vaccines. I never really believed in the masks. Mm. Um, but, but this is an interesting question. Where, so if, if people are acting as conformists and cowardly, um, it's a useful question to ask, where does this come from? Yeah. In fact, in normal times and in a healthy society, it is actually um, healthy and and um, and and good to look around you to other people to help inform what you believe. Like this is a natural human instinct because we know that our own senses are fallible and that we can make up all kinds of stories about things. Like if I see something out of the ordinary, like say you and I are, you know, uh, going for a walk and I look over there and I think I see a UFO rising above the horizon. The first thing I'm going to do is I'll be like, hey, nerd, check that out, man. Is that is that a UFO? And you're like, no, nah, it's just a cloud. And I'll be like, oh, OK, maybe I saw that wrong. Like we and especially. Um, if something is out of the ordinary, we'll go to people who we trust. In a healthy society, those are the people who have earned our trust and therefore are in positions of authority. Mm-hmm. So that basic human impulse to trust the collective perceptions of the group, and especially the elders and authorities who have earned respect, that in an unhealthy society like ours, that um, that natural human impulse actually leads us astray. Uh, but it's not necessarily a bad thing, except sometimes the group is, is wrong. And in those times, it is the, the nonconformists that become uh, really valuable. 
So that's that's one thing to consider. Another thing that you mentioned actually is this um, phobia of death, which is way. Uh, I mean, of course, you know, all human beings uh, want to live and have some natural healthy fear of death. But in our society, it's reached this point of an obsession or phobia, partly because of who we understand ourselves to be, which is one of the deep mythologies of our civilization, which basically says that, that, and this is what science says, that you are a separate self, uh, a consciousness produced by a brain that is annihilated upon death. How many cultures believed that? Mm. Pretty much only ours. <laughs> no indigenous culture believes that. No traditional culture believes that. No, no world religion believes that. But that is the superstition of our time. And if you accept that, then death is the ultimate catastrophe. It's like the candle flame being snuffed out forever. So we have an entire society oriented around the denial of death, which, which you know, takes the form of our euphemisms, of our warehousing of old people, of our hiding of corpses, of our fetish for youthfulness, of our uh, obsession with money, which seems to be permanent, like, and, 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 and um, that we associate with, with self, like all of these delusions and, and our medical obsession with prolonging life as long as possible. So as long as, and that also, oh, and another reason why we're so obsessed with life prolongation um, is that our society has lost its sense of purpose and meaning and identity. Our story of the people that says why we're here, where we're going, what the purpose of a human being is on earth. Like what, 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 why, why the incredible gifts and powers that humans have, what are they for? We don't have a coherent story of that anymore. Hmm. We used to have one which was to conquer nature and, you know, bring human intelligence into the cosmos um, to, to push past every frontier to domesticate the wild, but that isn't going so well. Yeah. And, and so we don't really, we haven't discovered a new purpose yet. And if, and on an individual level, as well as a collective level, if you don't know what you're living for, then you might as well, you know, live long. Like th- there's, there's nothing to sacrifice to. There's nothing you care about more than yourself. So this is basically, so I guess what I'm saying is that, is that the uh, insane response to what is objectively speaking, actually a pretty minor epidemic compared to, you know, historical ones, but this excessive response to it is a symptom of a deep civilizational illness, uh, or you could also say a an aspect of a civilizational initiation, where where who we had been is um, obsolete 
and we are becoming something else. And this is kind of a rite of passage. I got an interesting question for you here because yeah. I, because I, I really want to get your take on this. Cause like I said, at the start of the show, you're, you're, you're a very smart guy. You know, your shit and I want to learn from you here and I'm, and I'm enjoying everything we're talking about so far, but I have an interesting question for you here because mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of research, just looking at other countries and how they've been dealing with the pandemic. And I look at a lot of the poorer countries, a lot of the countries that don't have half the things that we have are not even a quarter of what we have here. Do you think it's a uh, it's a problem of us having too much that we're just pampered by everything? We don't know how to handle any form of opposition because we freaked out over the virus and have been in some form of lockdown or another for the past two years where it's like you still can't even do certain things without getting looked at funny. But in other countries, they seem to be pretty much over it because they have bigger fish to fry. I mean, they don't know where their next meal's coming from. They don't know where yeah. their next dollar's coming from. We have everything and more, but yet we're intentionally destroying ourselves and each other with such trivial bullshit that we should have been over with. Like a week after this happened, like, hey, there's a sickness going around. Just just be smart and <laughs> continue with your life. We overreacted. I mean, and do you think it's it's because we just have too much stuff? We just don't know how to deal with it. That we just create problems where there probably isn't that big a one. I mean, I think we do have uh, an addiction to comfort. That yeah. that there's a saying: comfort enters the house as a guest, but <clears throat> soon mm-hmm. takes over as 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 a tyrant or something. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, well, partly, you know, we've become so insulated from real life or from even materiality in general. This is part of the retreat into the metaverse, you know, into the, the yeah. digital world where there's, but also into the classroom. Um, I mean, th- this obsession with safety, this uh, with risk minimization is, again, way older than COVID. Like it's been happening my entire lifetime, uh, even like the way we raise children, you know, we're like when I was a kid, we could, we would roam for miles unsupervised and, and do things that would earn that today would earn parents a visit from child protective services. Yeah. Like, like there wasn't, when I was a kid, there wasn't this obsession with um, uh, litigation, you know, with, with, uh, liability uh, so so again though why is safety why does that why why safety first that would only make sense if you were immortal if you were potentially immortal yeah. but it's it, knowing that you're going to die like why do you want to it, it, can the purpose of life be to say, stay safe your whole life until you die? <laughs> you know, like safety shouldn't be first. Safe, safety should be mm-hmm. third. Maybe that's a, a slogan in Burning Man. Safety third. <laughs> I agree with you. A life should be about just being productive, reproducing, and just you know, just treating people like you want to be treated. Just, just stay the hell out of each other's way and just do what you can to survive in this world. That's the message that was lost. I mean, they were saying we're all in this together when in fact we weren't. They basically, from the start, they were telling people they were essential and non-essential. You can stay home, but you can't because you're not important. That's not all in this together to me. That rings of, hey, mm-hmm. you you suck and you're the type of people we want to get rid of. So stay home, get fat, watch Netflix, 
watch uh what was it the tiger king was the one that they were uh, promoting i guess at the mm-hmm. time everyone stay home and watch this great show eat your ice cream right and those things are those things are compensations for the loss of uh real things yeah and and so like there's a couple directions i want to go with this um well let's hear it okay so first like and it gets really philosophical, but first I'll, I'll say, well, what is the purpose of life? If it's not just to stay safe and survive, all of us have a desire to contribute to something beyond ourselves. I'd like to say it as that we have a desire to, to serve and contribute to and participate in the unfolding of life and beauty in, on the planet, in the cosmos. Like we want to be part of something beyond ourselves, something that we care about. So that is, and, and we want to live fully. Like we want to be alive. We want to apply our gifts to things that, that are beautiful to us. We want to enjoy our physicality. We want to enjoy our sociality. Like that is what it is to be fully alive. But in the, during the pandemic, we were told that staying alive was more important than being alive. That staying safe was more important than, than living fully. In fact, every human being makes decisions every day that involve risk. Like anytime you get in your car and go somewhere, you're taking a risk. Anytime that you leave the house, you're taking a risk. But, but, but we make those choices all the time. During COVID, we were told that staying safe was more important than um, children playing together on a playground, than um, singing in a choir, than going to a church, than dancing with people. Than, than hugging people, like, and the 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 ideology was well, okay, maybe you yourself value hugs more than an incremental increase in your risk of death, but you're not allowed to make that decision for other people. You have to keep other people safe. Yep. And and so I think it was in the coronation I said, okay, suppose nerd that. You, the only way you could save your life was to decree that no one else on earth could ever hug again. Would you do that? Oh, no, definitely no. not. No one would do that. We're not, we're not so selfish as to say no one on earth can ever hug again so that I can be safe. Well, we made that decision collectively to prohibit hugs and festivals and concerts and all these other things all of our liberties and freedoms and sociality and physicality we decided that we were going to stop all that in order to stay safe like we made collectively the decision that you just said you would never decree for everybody else yeah because it's a personal decision I, i i personally hate hugging people we just had we just had some some friends we haven't seen in about three years. They came down here to vacation. I live in Myrtle Beach. They came down here to hang out mm-hmm. with us. 
And, you know, the most awkward part I was telling my wife as we were driving to meet him, I'm like, I don't want to hug anybody. I don't want to hug anybody. But I would never say, because I hate it, you have to as well. And I think it kind of goes back to people being selfish. I feel like people don't think about the million and one ways you could die on a day-to-day basis. Matter of fact, before we recorded here, I was just in the shower. I could have easily have slipped getting out. I could have hit my head on the, on the ceramic floor and bled to death. But I didn't think about it because I'm in control of my life. When they introduce this virus and all the possibilities of things that can go wrong, it's about someone else infecting you, which means, hey, now this includes me. So I'm going to do whatever it takes and you better do it too to protect me. That's how I feel this whole thing's going down. But I have such a low opinion over the past two years. That's how I changed personally. I had a much higher opinion of people and now seeing Twitter and reading you know, posts on Reddit and just seeing how the media treated people that even wanted to ask a simple question. Why? Why are we doing this? What's going on? What's in that thing you want to put in my arm? That's when I kind of soured on everybody. I kind of wanted to ask you, because you've been writing these, these brilliant essays for a few years now, but before these you know, medically based, uh, you know, we're talking about Zika, we're talking about COVID, you were writing other things. So I want to ask you, like, what transformation did you know, the COVID have in you? Yeah, I mean, it, it was, um, this is what I said before, I was so dismayed by what was going on. I was like, I got to do something about this. Yeah. And what am I going to do about it? You know, what I know how to do is I know how to write. And I have uh, a fairly substantial audience. And <clears throat> it was just, it was just like, this is what is mine to do. Uh, nothing else quite seemed relevant, actually. Uh for a while, like after I got the initial criticism, I, I went into a period where I didn't write about COVID because I wanted to make sure that uh, that I wanted to understand why I believed what I believed. Because some of the criticism was pretty cut close to the bone, you know, like, like, uh, People were psychologically diagnosing me as having, you know, reflexive defiance against my father. And that's why you're, you're distrusting the authorities who have our best interests at heart. And, you know, I know doctors and, and who are saying that this is real and that like, like, you know, and, and even like you're putting people at risk, you know, you're, you're, um, you have these, these irrational conspiracy defiant ideas. Like I wanted to know like, okay, where are my beliefs really coming from? Because pretty much everybody, if you ask them if they are open-minded, they will say yes. Most people believe that, that unlike others, they themselves base their opinions on reason and evidence. Everyone tells themselves that. How am I any different? So I went through actually about a period of eight months where I didn't write about COVID until I got really clear about why I believed what I believed and eventually came to source it from from personal experience. For example, the experiences that uh, contradict what science dictates is real. You know, and, and most people have had these experiences, but we put them in a category of uh, anomaly or that was weird or 
not going to think about that one. Uh, like, but most people have had, whether it's like an incredible synchronicity or precognitive dream or visitation from a dead relative or session with a psychic or, you know, uh, uh, encounter with a UFO. Um, like most people have had, or, or, uh, a healing from a medically incurable condition. Most people have had such experiences or know people and trust people who have had them. And eventually I, I kind of reached for that source and built sanity from there. And then people in my immediate sphere get are getting getting harmed by vaccines and so forth. Um, that's what's changing people's minds. Yeah, yeah, because because this it doesn't change everybody's minds. Like sometimes people themselves are harmed, or people close to them are harmed, and they still explain it away. But there are millions and millions of people now who have, you know, basically are like, you know, am I going to trust what Fauci tells me or am I going to trust my own lying eyes? Like people are having direct experiences now that contradict the narrative. And, and we're seeing um, even people who profess to believe uh, they don't actually believe because they're not rushing to get their kids vaccinated and boosted anymore and or even getting boosted themselves i i really think this thing is over actually they're going to try to ramp it up again but but it's not going to work it's like it's like the anthrax scare after 9-11 i don't know about that did you see the lines for the monkeypox vaccine up in new york i think some people are just completely lost i mean this is this is a minority a minority a minority Mm-hmm. No, come on. People aren't really scared about monkey. Not people. I mean, I had relatives who during COVID, like at the beginning, and it wasn't even that close to the beginning, when they ordered a pizza, they would take the pizza box with gloves and put it in the oven to sterilize the box. Oh my God. There, I know people who like kept their their children indoors, wouldn't let them out of the house for a year oh, man no one is like that about monkeypox. well no. you experienced that firsthand i'm i'm sorry to stop you there but one of the more interesting things in the book that i read was you were talking about your son your son was forced to lock down over uh there was an incident with a school trip right where someone got sick oh yeah that was actually before yeah this is my book i have a new book uh the coronation it's out it's like coming out like like tomorrow it's an amazing um, book. I, I already read it cover to cover. You, yeah. But yeah, like uh, this is when I, I had a foreboding sense. This was before COVID. This was in 2019. Uh, and my son was going to, like there was a school camping trip, but they canceled it because there had been, you know, two cases of Zika in New England. And, you know, it's, supposedly spread by mosquitoes and there's mosquitoes out. So we better not let the kids go camping. And I'm like, and, and this decision was accepted without question by the parents. And I'm like, Oh no, if, if, if this is the state of the public psychology, then we're in big trouble. 
Mm-hmm. Like, is this, this whole COVID thing, pandemania, I've been calling it now, which refers not to the disease itself, but to the, uh, <laughs> you know, craziness surrounding it. Like this was inevitable. Yeah. Maybe the only way to get past it is to go through it. You know what? I, I'm starting to see more and more people, like more voices coming up because you've been doing this since the start. You know, like like I've gone back to your to your essays and just looking at the dates and the timelines here from the beginning. You weren't fooled by this at all. No. Same same with us here on this show. From you can go back, listen to all the archives. We maybe the first week we we're like, oh, there's this new thing going around. I saw on TV. You know, people were just dropping dead over in China. This is coming here. Oh boy, what are we going to do for like a week? And then it just kind of turned into, okay, I'm over it. Let's, let's get back to living. But so many people were just willing to just ride this thing out as long as possible. And it doesn't, you know, hurt that you've got Howard Stern, you've got rock stars, musicians, all sorts of different celebrities out there. You've got the red carpet being rolled out in San Francisco, Gavin Newsom, like, fucking uh, Bob Barker spinning the wheel. You can win a million dollars. They they turned something so horrific into a game show and people were kind of all over the place, but yet they still just kept towing that line. And in, in your situation, you know, like I was reading some of the reviews and people were calling a conspiracy theorists and all this stuff. How did you just stay strong? Because so many people were just so afraid to speak out. What kept you going? Just keeping the fight going. You know, I mean, I can't say that I was, I, I definitely had, had periods of, I'll call it cowardice, you know, where I was like, there was a phase where I was like, okay, this is, this is careening towards totalitarianism. This is medical fascism. And it is actually dangerous to speak out. Like at, there was, there was, there was a time, if you remember, like, maybe it would have been like late 2020, early 2021, where it looked like, you know, it could be like mandatory, like mandatory vaccination. Like it looked like maybe they're going to take your kids away if you don't vaccinate them. Like, like you saw people proposing stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked like maybe the safest thing to do is to get a fake vaccine card, you know, and keep my head down and, and, it, it, that plus my, um, self-doubt, like this question of how do I really know that what I believe is true, that kept me quiet for a little while. Um, but to answer your question at some point, I'm like, I'm like, the risk is just to me, like, what's the worst that can happen? You know, like I could get canceled i could get deplatformed i could get censored i could get rounded up and put in a you know unvaccinated concentration camp i could get strapped down and vaccinated i could i mean like bad things could happen and for a while it looked like things were going to were taking a really dark turn but but that's just me and you know there's a future here there's my children someday grandchildren descendants other people's children, like the future of humanity is, I'm not saying it's in my hands, but I have a responsibility. Like I can do something about it. I can speak out. It's like, like I I can't, I want to do everything I can to 
leave a good world for my children and my descendants to live in. Mm. I can't just retreat to, you know, some compound somewhere, like go homestead somewhere and let the world burn. Like, that's not why I'm here. No, it's not why any of us are here. Yeah. We're here to leave the world more beautiful than we found it. Exactly. Yeah. That's a brilliant answer. And you know what? There's a lot of people who were just taking this thing laying down and it was always, well, I'm okay. I don't care about them. And that's where we kind of lost focus. Like you would see people on TV. I remember Nancy Pelosi was on TV, smiling and laughing, eating like $500 uh, ice cream outside of a $10,000 freezer saying, okay, we're all in this together. And then you, you, you just feel like people were just beaten down to a point where they're just, you know, finished. And now we've got food shortages going on. You go to a grocery store. If, if you can afford gas to get there, you, you, you see things that were, were plentiful before and now they're not so plentiful. And I just feel like people never had to deal with adversity because like I was saying earlier, we have way too much now and everything was just kind of there. It was a given. Oh, yeah. I don't have a Pop-Tart. I can go to the store and buy 10 boxes of Pop-Tarts. So there's nothing to do. I can just order this app and I've got everything to watch. And I'm not going to. Well, the thing is, though, the thing is, nerd, <laughs> I like calling you nerd. The thing <laughs> is, um, we have an awful lot of the stuff we don't really need. And yeah. a terrible poverty of the things that actually nourish a human being. Yeah. When, when, so underneath this hysteria is a profound dispossession. Human beings to thrive, we need to be connected. We need to have community. We need to have intimate connections with the people around us who know our stories. We need to know their stories and their, their parents and their grandparents' stories. We need to look out at the hill or at the stream and, and be able to place that in a matrix of events and meanings that go back generations. We need to have relationships. Like I look out and I see, I can't name half the trees that I can see out there. Like, I don't know. And even if I can name them, oh, okay, that one's a white oak. That's a sugar maple. Like, I don't have intimate knowledge of their life cycle. And like, what year does it make acorns? And how does that mast year that that makes the acorns correspond to the life cycle of the caterpillars uh, and the and the lightning bugs and there's more of them in this year and less in that year and I remember the winter, the winter when you know your 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 nephew fell through the ice. That was the winter where there were no acorns the next year and like this whole matrix of stories and relationships. Today we're immersed in a world of strangers, yes. socially. Like I don't know what's going on in my neighbor's marriage, you know, or with their grandkids, mm-hmm. like we don't, we don't, and and I don't depend on them for anything that I need. We're, we're strangers to each other, socially, economically. Um, And, and so the modern self is alone, except maybe for a nuclear family and maybe for some friendships that tend to be quite superficial because you don't need each other. Mm-hmm. So, so, and, and, and in addition to that, what I mentioned before, like the loss of meaning and purpose and identity, 
and a sense of belonging, belonging to place, belonging to community. We don't have any of that. So in that absence, we crave anything that will substitute for it and anything that will blunt the edge of that poverty. And that often takes the form of, uh, you know, consumable things, possessions, uh, or, or also the sense of belonging and identity you get from a political affiliation. And that's one thing that makes people so, so, so vulnerable to, to manipulation. Like, here's how, like, what, what are people actually seeking when they um, are signaling virtue and by, by, by professing the correct opinions and engaging in the conformist behavior? Like, what are they actually seeking? They're seeking belonging. Oh yeah. Seeking acceptance. And, acceptance. And that should it. come from community. Yep. It should come from the people around you who, who rely on you and you rely on them, but we don't have that. So it makes us vulnerable to fascist manipulation. We're, you know what? You just basically took the words right out of my mouth there. When you said the word acceptance, that's exactly what I was thinking there because it's much easier to post a picture half naked on Instagram and get 10,000 likes as it is to go talk to your neighbor next door and impress them with your knowledge in any particular topic. I think with COVID telling people to stay the hell home and just go online gives you that basically that feeling of just, Hey, I don't give a shit. I'm online. I can do this. I can do that. I don't have to meet these people. They don't matter to me. And by doing that, you're making people easier to control because they don't have that sense of community and they don't really mm-hmm. necessarily care about the person nearby. They don't like, I, I don't even know my neighbor's names and I've been living in this house for seven years. And, and, and that's on me. I'm, I'm a victim of it. And I just feel like, you know, everything mixed in with the years of and i hate using this word now because it's so toxic and get me thrown off the network here grooming we've been groomed into this kind of lifestyle like you said for years you know people playing video games online the mmo stay in your house and play this game all day put this vr headset on you can you can be whatever the heck you want to be don't go outside don't do that don't share ideas and i kind of wanted to bring up this one thing with you too was just not that you can't even share information And that's kind of where I wanted to segue here, because the left's irrational responses to any kind of opposition was one of the major things that said, I'm done with these people. Good news was never allowed. You can never say, hey, I got COVID and got over it. You would be banned on Twitter on site if you said anything but, oh, COVID was terrible and I'm so glad I got the shot. You can't say anything. You can't say, hey, this particular method helped me. You can't spread good news. It was not allowed. There was no positive thinking. That's that's just what I, I feel is just the, the number one driver for me to just finally be done with it and, and enlighten mm. me in a sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, right. You, you couldn't say anything counter narrative. Uh, that's that's yeah, that's kind of what happened, isn't it? This yeah. conformity. Um, I, I guess. So two things. One is <laughs> it's funny how like this happened to the left. Yeah. Where, where like, I'm like, hold on a second. I thought like um, hostility to corporations and big pharma uh, questioning authority. I thought that was supposed to be left. Mm-hmm. Like what happened to the left? I don't think that, that, I mean, it's, it's almost like left and right have been inverted now. Yeah, you're right. Like, I still think of myself as left, but because, you know, I'm like, I told you in my childhood, you know, like anti-war you know pro-environment 
um, like like compassionate, the right or um, evil racist, that like whole skeptical thing. of of corporations, you know, like yep. in favor of civil liberties. I mean, this is all supposed to be left. Uh, uh, free speech, you know. I mean, it used to be the the right that was trying to pers- that was trying to suppress free speech and ban books and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know what's right and what's left anymore. Um, the other thing I wanted to, to address, though, um, so the um, this question of blame, you know, like there's a certain uh, sorry, there's a motorcycle going out there. Ah, there that's there's, okay. Life yeah, happens. There, there's a certain uh, like disgust at human beings that blames them for what is actually a, a, a natural response to the conditions that they are in. Mm-hmm. Like I firmly believe that children should be outdoors most of the time, that they should be playing, you know, imaginative games, you know, building their, their, their imaginary realities with each other in play. I tried to raise my kids like that, but by the time I started having kids, this social phenomenon was so well established that there weren't any other kids outside playing. Yeah, that's right. So what was left for them, but the world of Pokemon and video games and stuff. And I did my best to control that, you know, but, and to limit that, but I couldn't just say, Hey, go outside and play cops and robbers with the other kids or go outside and play kickball. Like all the stuff I did as a kid was not available anymore because the other kids weren't out there doing it. And the, the, the whole culture of that had disappeared. So we're, we're, we're like, all of us are doing our best to respond to conditions. And by naming the conditions, maybe we can do something to change them. By, by affirming this, this sense that it's not supposed to be this way at least you know you're not crazy for seeking something else for your children. And that's a starting point. And then we need to build new values. We need to, to, to new systems, new institutions, which we're doing now. Like, you know, like um, here we have a, a little homeschool co-op. You know, we made our own little summer camp. Oh, you know, you can't go to the normal one if you're not vaccinated. You can't go to school if you're not masked. Well, we'll make our own. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and this is happening. A lot of people are not going back to the old system. Kind of dangerous. Uh, I, I mean, there's a lot, and I'm not sure what side of the fence you fall on this particular issue about the indoctrination of children in schools, but COVID did open up a lot of eyes and some good and some bad ways. And I think one of the ways it benefited us is by doing the homeschooling and showing us exactly what the heck was going on in these classrooms. I wanted to get your take on this as far as like, why yeah. do you think they have to get kids this young, send them home, tell them to go online, tell them they can't leave the house, tell them the sickness is the worst thing ever. You got to get the shot and stay home. Mm-hmm. Now it's, you have to listen to this. You have to accept this way of thinking, Hey, no matter what you want to be, you can be, you can be whatever you want to be, no matter what it is, no matter if it's real or fake. 
and they're, they're trying to take the children away from us in a way. And I want to ask you, why do you think it's so important for them to attack the children in such a way? It's becoming very uncomfortable. It, yeah. it is. And, and, and I think we're at a breaking point now in society because even the most acceptable soccer mom out there who will take her kids to get vaccinated, I think even that person has, has a line they're going to draw. And I think this may be it, the, the, the indoctrination of the kids when it comes to the trans issues and everything yeah, yeah. else. Yeah, I mean, this, this, um, I, like, again, I, I, I go to a pretty philosophical place about this. Um, so part of the old ideology of conquest uh, and the domination and transcendence of nature says that we do not need to be limited by biology that human destiny is to conquer disease, conquer death, upload our consciousness into computers, replace our bodies with robot parts um, to, or in the spiritualized version to enter like the spirit realm uh, and become less physical. This has been the ideology of progress literally for thousands of years, ever since the days when the highest status person was the king or the priest and the lowest was the farmer. So rising above the dirt, rising above materiality, that was human progress. And with technology, more and more people could become like kings and not have to grub around in the dirt and not have to be uh, sullied by the material world. So the highest status then went to still the kings and the priests, which would be the financial tycoons, the kings, and the scientists, the priests, whose status was the higher, the more abstract their work was. And lower status would be the engineer, and lower than that would be like the plumber and the construction worker and the peasant. Okay, So this basic um, uh, ideology of, of transcending nature takes more and more extreme forms. And one of them is that, that who we are is independent of our biology, that therefore gender is independent of sex, that it is just a human creation, a cultural construct. So like that's one, one tributary to the, the stream that is taking shape in trans issues today. Um, and, but I also think that, that, you know, there's also um, a, a very legitimate reaction to the way that people have been um, persecuted and um, abused for their, um, for what they are. And, and, you know, like, this is, this is, I guess, where, where I might be more left in, in that, like, I don't think that there's something wrong with somebody if they are um, gay or like, I'm not going to, going to try to tell them how to live. Yeah. People should do what they want. Um, And we, we live in circumstances partly because of this history, but also partly because of the chemicals in the environment that are really 
changing people's physiology. So I don't think that like being gay or trans is like necessarily always or even usually some kind of, you know, bad idea or lifestyle choice or, or a choice. You know, I think that it, that, that a lot of <clears throat> changes have happened to our biology because of the toxic environment that we live in, the <clears throat> chemically toxic, psychically toxic environment. And people should not be blamed for that. Yeah. So it's a, it's a pretty big mess. Now, as far as school goes, um, the, the, the real problem with schooling isn't in the curriculum. It's not that, that it's a bad curriculum. It's more in the pedagogy. It's in the, what John Taylor Gatto called the, the hidden lessons mm -hmm. of school, which is to look to authority for your curriculum. Like that's training for a compliant citizenry where, where you're, you choose from a menu given to you by authority, where you are emotionally dependent and intellectually dependent on authority, where you have habits of obedience, where you are conditioned to do trivial, <clears throat> laborious tasks for external rewards, mm -hmm. uh, where you are segregated by age into an artificially competitive environment, um, where, where, Nothing you do matters because it's all just a lesson and it's all contained in a classroom. So like these habits of dependency and conformity and mindless labor, those are um, systemically necessary for our kind of society to continue. And, and so for me, like I wouldn't send my kid to school no matter what the curriculum was. Uh, for me, it's it's the process and the pedagogy that's even more important than the content of what's taught. Great answer. And I learned a new word, by the way. I've never heard that word used before, so thank you. Which word uh, was that? <laughs> well, I don't even know if I could say it correctly. It was a peter... Was oh, it? pedagogy. Yeah, that, pedagogy. That, just means, that means like the philosophy of instruction. You know, I'm going to write that down and I'm going to use it today sometime later yeah. on. And, and I'm going to pretend I'm smart. I'm going to say, hey, did you ever hear this word? They're going to be like, no, I never heard it. Oh, oh, well, I've known it all along. <laughs> but, <clears throat> but let me throw this at you here, okay? Because it, it sounds to me like we're headed in, in, into a certain direction with the conversation that I feel like has to be expressed here. <laughs> Do you feel like a lot of people were so susceptible to everything going on because they don't have any belief? They're so afraid of, of death do you think it's because of a lack of faith, the lack of, of something that could be better for you in the afterlife or, or that there is something after what happens here, this temporary body that we're, that we're all, you know, in at the moment, once you die, there's something, but do you think there's just a severe lack of faith going on in just religion in general, that maybe if we had it more in this country, maybe we would have accepted things a little bit better and just moved along with it. Yeah, we, we live in an ideology that, denies what we actually know on a soul level. Mm -hmm. Primary is that like the, the, and the main, well, okay. I won't say the main thing, but one of these knowings that our education and our reigning ideology denies is that there is an intelligence in the world beyond human intelligence. 
when you believe that humans are the sole repository of intelligence, then it becomes our destiny to impose order and design and intelligence and organization onto a world that has none inherently. But when you, when, when you accept as every culture but our own has accepted that consciousness and intelligence and purpose are not the monopoly of human beings, but are in all things, then you don't need to be in control of everything anymore. And then the role of the human being changes from um, the Lord and master of creation to a participant in creation, an agent of creation. So the, the um, removal of intelligence from the world has a scientific flavor, but it also has a religious flavor, where if you look at the progression of the- theology over the centuries, um, the idea that the universe is a clockwork created and set in motion by God, that evolved over, over many centuries because initially God was an ongoing participant in creation. If you asked a second century Christian or even before, um, you know, any indigenous person, like, like if you asked, asked, you know, a medieval Christian say, um, what is the nature of what's God's role in the world? They would say, well, God makes the wind blow. God animates the animals. God is in everything. God, God is not separate from creation, but God is a, God is creation. (laughs) Like, and, and this intelligence is in everything beyond our conception. So anyway, really what, the so this is this is one of the origins of the program of control that sees human progress being imposing more and more control over society over genetics over the molecules over the airwaves uh you know that the, and, and over everything uh that is only necessary in the denial of what you're calling faith so, yeah, the, the turning point now is basically to rejoin the intelligence that we've separated ourselves from. Very interesting. And I'm going to just share something really quick with you. I, I actually found God through this whole experience with COVID. And, 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 and I turned away from religion many years ago. I thought mm-hmm. it was bullshit. I thought it was a farce. And part of that still does stay with me. But now I have come to the conclusion that there is pure evil in this world. And I'm about to turn 40 this year. So in my lifetime, I've never seen just blatant levels of, of pure evil as we've seen the past couple of years with, you know, uh, the totalitarianism we were talking about, uh, people like getting their doors welded shut if they were suspected of having COVID. You know, you had those camps set up in Australia where people yeah. were just sat in these little like dorms, fed food through a glass door, slid under a, you know, a yeah. door, whatever. And it, it's, it's just insane to me. So I was thinking to myself, if there's something this sinister, there's got to be something, something behind it. 
it, I mean, this thing is bigger than any of us possibly can realize because, I mean, you've got all these countries on the same page. Everyone's saying the same thing. They keep saying these words, the new normal. And, and it's like, wait a second, who was writing the script here? It's like there's some, someone in charge. There's something there. And if there's something that bad, in my mind, there has to be something good. So I subscribe yeah. to the notion of there's, there is a God. Do I believe in Moses parting the, the seat? No, because you don't see that stuff today. But I do believe in a creator. So I wanted to kind of just turn it over mm-hmm. to you and just find out where your personal faith was with this. Yeah. So funny thing, like, I actually do believe that. I don't know, historically, but I do believe that that s- such levels of miracles do happen as somebody parting the waters. Hmm. Um, I mean, I've seen stuff with my own eyes that I just cannot explain in terms of physics or biology. Um, But as for evil, like on the one hand, we have to acknowledge that horrible people are doing horrible things to each other on this earth. However, in many cases, if not most cases, they do so with the firm conviction that they are doing good. They're not doing it with malice and the intention to harm. Like they, the, the, the people welding people's apartment doors shut so that they can't get out, they are, they are full of righteousness. We are doing this to protect society. Um, I, for all I know, Bill Gates is, is up there out there saying, saying, you, you know, we have to uh, um, vaccinate everybody uh, to, to protect us from the next pandemic. It's all for the greater good. And if it makes people sterile and unable to have children, well, that's good too, because, <clears throat> you know, we're overpopulating the planet and, and this, this is necessary for the greater good. Um, and going back to my fourth grade class, what we as a class did to Kent was terrible. And like, I'm not proud of it. I didn't speak out. I was afraid I would be bullied and, you know, yeah, you just didn't want to be next. as well. Yeah. Didn't want me next. Turned out I was next anyway, despite <laughs> not speaking out. But, but anyway, um, there, there wasn't like a coordination. No one was, issuing orders that, okay, everybody must ostracize Kent. It's just like everybody kind of knew what to do. People naturally gravitate into these roles. Uh, In Nazi Germany, most of the people who were administering the Holocaust were just normal bureaucrats, you know, who went home and like took care of their neighbor's dog when they were on vacation and thought of themselves as decent human beings. If the problem were as easy to solve as eliminating the bad guys, we would have solved it a long time ago on this I earth. Agree. I agree. Yeah, it's not that simple. And, and you could, if you want to look at it in, in like these theological terms, you know, the, the, of good and evil and God and Satan and all that, you know, you have to recognize that these archetypes live within all of us and that in the journey of the human soul, what we call evil has an important function, which is to make it a little harder to love, to require courage, to enable you to have 
self-defining choices where it's hard to love. Yeah. And you do it anyway, and you then come to know yourself as somebody who chooses love, even in the most difficult circumstances. I kind of want to bring Kent up again. Shout out to Ken if you're listening. We're sorry about all the stuff you dealt with, buddy. But the thing is, yeah. is, is, is I, I kind of want to ask you about the end game here and what you think it is. Because just like with Kent, how you said that you were kind of piling on because you didn't want to be next. That's a beautiful kind of lesson to bring up here is that there is going to be a next, no matter what you do to prevent it. You could even look at Joe Biden and how his son, his, his crackhead son, was doing these horrible things. You were not allowed to talk about that for the longest yeah. time, but now all of a sudden you can, and that's because they're done with him. So the person who was pointing the gun at everybody else saying, Hey, go, go get that person, cancel that person. Now the gun's being pointed towards Biden and we got to get rid of this guy. You're mm-hmm. never truly safe. That's you're why you're never I, safe. Yeah, you're that's ne- right. Never safe. So just be yourself. I'm a libertarian, strong libertarian. I don't give a shit what you do going back to the trans thing. I don't give a shit. Go ahead and do your thing, but do it behind your own closed doors. I don't want you going to a, a, a kid's school in full drag and reading them a book about sex. To me, that's where the line has to be drawn. And people don't know when to draw that line. It's you have to be all in or all out. And I do believe that there is some sort of we can meet in the middle with some of this stuff. When it comes to kids, leave them the fuck alone. Let them be kids. Let them grow up. But when it comes to our petty squabbles, as far as, you know, uh, the vaccine and what you can and can't do, I feel like there is some sort of a compromise because we all do live in this world. We all we all are in this thing together, whether I believe people are right for getting the vaccine or wrong. There is a compromise like, hey, yeah. go ahead and get your shot, but I don't have to get mine. You're supposed to be good. Leave it at that. But there's always a battle. There's never a compromise. Yeah. I mean, some of these, you know, a lot of these issues are not so black and white. Um so like, as far as like the shot, I'll, yeah. I'll talk to both the shot and the, and the trance. Like um, the thing is people are not able to make a sovereign choice when they're not given all of the information. Yeah. You know, like, like there is no conform, informed consent right now because of the manipulated data, the, the, the corrupted studies, uh, the filtering out of, information on vaccine harm like there's there is no informed consent so it's like the choice that people making is not an isolated choice it's not like choosing vanilla ice cream or chocolate ice cream you know everything you need to know about the ice cream is in the taste of the ice cream uh it's like so there's that and as for the um so that's not black and white you know and as for do whatever you want behind closed doors um you know, people also have a need to express themselves and to uh, do that in in society. So, f- to to me, what 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 disturbs me about the um, uh, current political dimensions of you know gender uh, ideology is when the these um, other choices are normalized or valorized um, and the um, traditional like hetero cis identities are um, pathologized, you know, and made to seem like backward and unenlightened. Uh, Whereas I think that we can validate 
the the exceptions without invalidating the rule. Like we can say, say, yeah, there is uh, such a thing as biological sex and what we now call gender is connected, like strongly connected to biological sex. And there are exceptions too, but that doesn't invalidate the rule. Like, no. and, and so, it's, you know, and I think that there are um, gray zones, you know, where we have to actually engage um, in compromise, you know, and try to find things that work for everybody so that like this question of how do, how do people who diverge from the norm meet their need for self-expression and, you know, in society. And at the same time, um, uh, how do we exercise our own uh, values and preferences around our children and what they're exposed to. And like these, these, I don't think that there's like a, a quick formula but today people like, they just want to, um, they get so militant so quickly yeah, and see things in black and white terms and immediately defaults to, okay, who are the bad guys in this story? That tendency to, to re, to default to who are the bad guys in this story? That is what the authorities have exploited to push the medical totalitarianism of the last two years. Mm -hmm. Where's the bad guy? Who's the enemy? Who's the internal enemy? That's the pretext for control. And if there's one thing I I want to take away, want people to take away from this, it is please be aware and question this tendency of dividing the world into the good guys and the bad guys a division in which you're always the good guy, always on team good, fighting team evil. Yep. Most of the evil in the world has been done in the name of fighting evil. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, even Hitler thought he was doing the right thing. Yeah. Same, yep. same with Stalin. Same yep. with Mao. They yep. thought they were, they were saving the world. Yep. Yeah. Bill Gates thinks that right now. Absolutely. That's why he's buying up all the farmland. And and, and we're seeing all these uh, farmers, especially out in the Netherlands, are being told not to farm for food, but there's a food shortage coming. Yeah. That's why I kind of want to ask you, what do you think the end game is here? Why is Bill Gates buying up all this farmland? Why why does he have an artificial breast milk company when all of a sudden there's no formula to be found? Remember that debacle. What's going on here? What's the end game? You know, there, there's people who who study the details of these machinations way more than I do. Um, I'm taking much more of a hundred thousand foot view. Um, yeah. You know, I think that there are ruthless, opportunistic people who exploit um, the situation without necessarily engineering it, and that the engineering of the situation takes place more in our collective unconscious that that the idea of a uh, conscious deliberate explicitly coordinated conspiracy gives a little bit too much credit Mm -hmm. to the conspirators and their powers of foresight and competence and control i think mostly they're kind of riding the wave uh, identifying opportunities and exploiting them. Uh, 
So Bill Gates, he's like, yeah, you know, profit potential here, artificial milk. And that's progress, too, because we're going to improve on biology. So it's all part of an ideology of of of. Well, I mentioned it before of the ascent of humanity above nature. So, of course, we're going to make artificial breast milk. Of course, we're going to replace agriculture with, you know, giant fermentation vats and lab grown food. Of course, we're going to replace uh, uh, gestation with artificial wombs. That's progress. Of course, we're going to uh, grow vegetables without soil and hydroponics factories. Of course, we're going to build giant machines to suck carbon out of the air. And we're going to engineer the whole planet and bleach the sky white with sulfur aerosols and, and dump iron oxide into the sea to change the chemistry of the sea. We're going to, we're going to, there's no limit to the amount of control that we're going to impose on the world to create a paradise. And, and we're going to put every object in the internet of things and surveil every transaction and every movement of every human being, because then we'll be able to engineer things and arrange things rationally in a giant min max problem administered by artificial intelligence. Like this is an entire vision Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily have malice built into it. That's what makes it scary to me. It's that the people who are doing it, fully believe in it that it's for the greater good and if you have to break some eggs to make this omelet that's okay this is what orwell was writing about in his description of the party he said that part for the party power is not a means it is an end but the way that it becomes an end is that it is originally a means it is justified because you're going to use it for the good. All we have to do is get enough power and nobody will be able to stop us from doing all of these great things that we're going to do in the world. So, so because we're the good guys, the more power we have, the better. You see this in U.S. foreign policy thinking too, full spectrum dominance. Why is that justified? Because we're the good guys. Yep. Everybody thinks that they're the good guys. And when you are so certain that you are good and every and, and the others are evil, then there's no limit to the amount of power that you will obtain and power ceases being a means and it becomes an end. And that is what makes you evil. I feel like religion is certainly missing because the lines have been drawn. No one knows what good and evil is anymore. I feel like if we had a little bit of faith, that's all I'm saying. I just feel like things would be a little bit better. And it sounds weird coming out of my mouth because people hadn't listened to the show from the beginning. I, I was always saying religious bullshit, religious bullshit, but it, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's changed me. And I guess this is my personal new normal. Yeah. So in closing, because like, I have a couple more, more questions here before we get out of here, but I want to ask you this. Um, what does the new normal, what does that phrase mean to you? I would like to reclaim the phrase, the new normal. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> being used in a way to make us acquiesce to um, the, the, the normalization and the, the permanency of the um, restrictions on freedom and civil liberties that were imposed on an emergency basis during COVID. Like that's supposed to be the new normal or the new normal is that, that, you know, you do everything online or the new normal is, um, like uh, debt, permanent debt 
or the neuro, like, you know, all of, all of these, these, um, um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 But, but there, there could be another new normal, mm-hmm. a new normal of reconnection to the people and places around us, a new normal of, um, local economies, a new normal of food sovereignty on a local level, or at most a bioregional level, um, a new normal of regaining the lost material skills that have been surrendered to a global economy, uh, a new normal of um, Ecological regeneration. Yeah, it's like know? people, just like local commerce, people getting to, like, instead of going to big businesses, maybe open up more small mom and pops, maybe local trading, like, hey, you've got yeah. strawberries, I've got potatoes, let's do a swap, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's not so much barter, though. I mean, I, this is a whole other topic, um, but but it is um, networks of mutual reliance on a human scale. Mm as opposed to a global scale where everything that you, this is a whole large topic. I don't think we want to get into this now because we've been going for quite a while, but oh, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe we can uh, have another conversation sometime. Oh, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. There's so much to cover. Yeah. But I really appreciate your, uh, your, uh, appreciate your style here and, and your uh, open-mindedness, you know, I say, I, I say, I, everyone thinks that they're open-minded, but I feel like you actually are open-minded. I really appreciate that. Well, I appreciate that. And the thing is, is we have to have more conversations like this and it's, it's not allowed in a lot of places. That's why I'm happy on the platform that I'm on. It's safe. These are encouraged. People need to do more of this. And that's one thing I feel is most important to getting some sort of semblance to what the new normal should be, which is basically what it used to be. Just people talking and sharing ideas and learning and growing from each other. Yeah. But I do have a, a question for you, though. Just like one, one, one last thing here. Uh, you have a podcast, but you haven't, you haven't put out an episode <laughs> since February. Yeah. I was binging them last night. I was loving this. I was, yeah, I know. I will get back to that sometime. I just, <laughs> I've just gotten caught up in a lot of stuff. Well, writing books, yeah. amazing books such as The Coronation, Essays from the COVID Moment, coming out tomorrow. I can't believe it. Where can people find this book, and where can they find everything Charles Eisenstein? Oh, you know, you can find the book on all the usual places. Um, I, I, my writing, I do my writing now on Substack, charleseisenstein.substack.com. Um, and I've got a website, charleseisenstein.org has a lot of stuff on it also. Charles, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to write this, uh, just to write these essays over the years. I mean, it's very important that people check out the coronation, just buy this book immediately, uh, wherever you buy your favorite books. Because it's it's like you took the time to write this and people are, especially now, they're so thirsty and just starving for any type of information, especially truth. And you're one of the only people out there actually providing it. So I want to thank you for that because we need more of it. Well, it's very kind of you. Thank you. Absolutely, sir. And I want to thank you, especially for coming on the Voices of Misery podcast. It's been a great conversation. I can't wait to do it again, Charles. Yep. Take care. Take care, sir. <laughs>